So let's say you're at the gym, you're performing pretty well, you're going for a squat, you're going for PR, or perhaps you're, I don't know, performing in a sport of some sort, maybe football, basketball, whatever it may be, and you get hurt. Um, it's not necessarily a broken bone, but it could be like a muscle strain or a joint sprain, um, but it's stopping you from performing at your best level. Or, 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 or let's switch that up. Let's assume you're just a general person competing in this game we call life and you have a pain in your ow ow. Um, so what do you do? Uh, what is pain and uh, how do you go about reducing or limiting the uh, symptoms of pain so that you can go about living your life? Welcome back, folks, to the Mental Rep Podcast, a district podcast where we talk about all things pertaining to training, recovery, and recovery. Training, recovery, and recovery. <laughs> Training, nutrition, and recovery. I'm your host, Jorge Diaz. And today, I do not have the usual gang. Today, I am honored to be hosting my friend, my mentor, and coach, Dr. Michael Soya. <sighs> <laughs> Thanks, man. It's fun to be here. Dude, dude, dude. It's your first time here, too. What do you think about the district? It's very cool. Like I said, like this is such an awesome space for one-on-one -on -one small group training I mean, you guys have excellent equipment from the comp plates to bumpers for both pounds kilos etc um a lot of great cardio equipment it's a really nice space thank you thank you yeah dan and scott really hustled to put together a, a good environment that meets all the needs of our clients so uh but today you know we have you here um so so yeah, for the, the audience that doesn't know you um I know you're really humble. You don't like to talk about yourself. So speak of yourself in a third person and tell me about Dr. Michael Soya as if it's not you. It's just a third person. I, I think I could do it. Okay. Um, so I graduated from University of the Sciences, which is now St. Joseph's University, um, back in 2015 with my doctor of physical therapy. Since then, uh, I had worked two years for a large private practice in New Jersey, and I hated every waking moment of it. I want to quit my first week, but I'd stuck it out for two years uh, because I wasn't sure if I could actually go out there and do this whole thing on my own. And uh, in 2017, in January, my wife, she and I were just dating at the time. We happened to walk into Adelante Barbell Club within the first two weeks it was open. And I just thought, wow, what an amazing space. It's dedicated to powerlifting and weightlifting there was almost no accessory equipment in there at the time it was just racks and you know two deadlift platforms and a couple uh weightlifting platforms that was it it was a nice bare bone space and immediately i thought wow this this could be it this could be the space that i start working out of a gym doing my own thing and actually doing what i want to do instead of having to essentially almost give a formula for how to treat patients and so over time, I started to talk to Mike Adelante about this. And he was like, I think that'd be great. I think that'd help me out because then we have a PT on staff, which would be awesome for me. And it'd help make a, a great sales point to, you know, prospective clients. And so in August of that same year is when I officially started getting my stuff together. And then at the end of the month of August, I left my full-time job. And I started Soy Physical Therapy LLC full time. I went all in on it. Woo! Yeah. Can we get an applause button? <sighs> and what was also equally terrifying was at that time, uh, Danielle and I had just moved in. So I've got this girl that I've been dating for less than a year at this point. We're just moved in. And I'm like, 
hey, I'm going to leave that job with a predictable salary and everything and uh, try to hack it out on my own here. Wait, so you're telling me that there's an ugly side to this sexy entrepreneurial thing? <laughs> I, I'm telling you that starting out, I kind of had to pick what food I absolutely needed to survive and mm. not just, oh, what sounds good to eat this week? Mm. And, uh, you know, you get very frugal very quickly. You're really able to look at what is the bare minimum amount of money I need to survive and live under that at times if you have to. And just recently, um, you mentioned a major feat that uh, you experienced when Adelante was expanding. Mm -hmm. What was that? Could you mind giving some insight on that? Um, So in just this past year, we moved into a much bigger space. And so I went from... At the very start of things, I didn't even have a dedicated space in the gym. So occasionally I'd have to ask people like, hey, do you mind moving aside? So I go up my treatment table because I have to evaluate somebody for a first session. And so we went from that to having a dedicated space that would still be invaded once in a while despite signage and everything else because, you know, people are too self-important or they can't read or mix of both. Um, So we went from having just a little dedicated space in the open gym to then actually having a legitimate, large, pretty office uh, within the new space of Adelante Barbell Club. And with the growth of the gym has come new members, which has in turn uh, gotten me some new patients as well, which has been awesome. And then, you know, the growth of my business has been interesting too. Again, going from months of just like, oh my God, I only have five sessions this week. Like I'm, I'm barely making 500 a week. What do I do to, you know, having 30 plus sessions a week pretty consistently now. Um, and so that's too, just by nature of how I myself have changed too. You know, in 2019, I stopped competing in powerlifting and we can go into my history on that too. But at that point, I started taking up Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that's introduced me to a, a whole untapped community of people who just get so frustrated because again, you go to the doctor with an injury that you sustained on the mat and the advice that you get is always, oh, well, just don't do that thing <laughs> that, you know, you spend all of your time and energy thinking about and doing. And uh, people don't like to hear that. Yeah, I think that's funny that as a person who largely deals with injuries, either in joints or musculature, I, that, that's just the way I perceive it. That's not exactly how physical therapists feel sure. this. But I guess that's uh, a question for a little bit. But as somebody who largely deals in that field, you got into a sport where the main goal is to dislocate or dismember. I think that's funny. Well, I mean, you, you put people in a position where they choose whether or not you, With you do that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you put them in a position where they choose, do I let them tear my shoulder off or do I submit to them? And he now lets off all that pressure. Mm. I mean, if you've seen me roll, you know, I give people nothing but time. Like I'll kind of hold near end range and I'll let people decide, you know, are you walking home unscathed today? <laughs> and thankfully, most people are usually smart enough to be like, oh, yeah, I don't want to you know, have my shoulder torn off here. That, that's funny. I think uh, you made a mention of uh, a partner of your a rolling partner, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu partner of yours that wants to that rolled with you exclusively because he knew you wouldn't take it too far. Yeah. Unlike a like a white belt. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to, again, have gone from essentially being everybody's restaurant because, again, I was an out-of-shape power lifter who never grappled and I was, quite frankly, terrible at it mm. to becoming the guy that was then like, oh, yeah, he's he's okay, but he's just strong to now, oh, he's, he's very technical and sound. And so I become a safe role and uh, I'm very open to just kind of matching the intention, the intensity of what I'm being given back from the other person. So if somebody wants to go light and really just work technique, I'm, I'm happy to you know take the edge off things and really let them do that. 
But if you have somebody that's just a hothead and they're like, I'm, I'm getting after it, I'm like, okay, yeah, you can do that. Yeah. And I don't know if you mentioned, but uh, what degree belt are you? I just got my purple belt a couple weeks ago, so uh, it's pretty exciting. It's essentially the uh, the halfway point to black belt in terms of just looking at pure rankings. You know, it's white, then blue, then purple, then brown, then black. And throughout, there's stripes awarded to many schools. And how long has it been since you first stepped on the mat? Uh, a little more than three and a half years now. Is that fast? Is that like... It's switch? a little faster than normal. Um, typically, like a purple belt will usually be about like a full four years or even like five or six. Is yeah. It's common to get your purple belt at. Yeah, that's insane. Your IQ on the mat has substantially increased that yeah. last time that we rolled many months ago. Yeah. Um, Over a year and change. Damn. I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Um, let's take a, a lot of steps back number mm -hmm. one what is physical therapy how would you define that that's a tough one because again it, people have this these notions about what they expect from it based on their prior experiences or what they've heard about it and i think a lot of people imagine the typical large corporate or hospital outpatient facility where you're going in you're seeing this therapist for like 10 15 minutes and a lot of times they do a lot of manual hands-on work with you and then a tech sets up a bunch of exercises for you and you go through it kind of unsupervised and it's almost too easy most of the time and so and that's essentially what i had done was i was in that kind of setting for two years you're doing a lot of unnecessary things you know we can make a case for manual therapy being a nice uh adjunct to good exercise dosing but on top of that, you know, you're asked to do stuff like applying hot packs and electric stim to people and other things. I'm like, sure, it might make somebody feel good for five, 10 minutes, but there's no lasting benefit. This This isn't speeding up their time to actually get back to what they want to do and do the nature of me seeing for these people at a clip, you know, like within the same hour, I'm not able to really give them the attention they need to get back to what they want to do. Like, I can't look at are they able to squat a certain percentage of their max and handle that without any issues or just look at technique breakdown? I could be like, hey, I think if we optimize this a little bit, it might be a little bit more comfortable in the short term. Then as we get farther out of the woods, you can start to go back to what you normally do. And you're just not given that time. So for me, when I look at what I do as physical therapy is that I almost look at it like training except we're getting a little bit more specific to a certain region of the body, whether we're getting hyper-focused on a specific joint or just a limb in general. Um, the same principles of training apply where, again, I'm looking at where's our entry point into starting to introduce exercise? What is going to be tolerable enough? And then how do we ramp that up to what you want to do in the long run here? And that's going to be dictated by, again, what's your current state, You know how irritable are things, and then what is my activity that I'm looking to get back to? Am I looking to get back to squatting 650 pounds? Or is it that I'm looking to get back to rolling on the mat or even just certain positions on the mat? Maybe, you know, you could roll with some modifications, but like, oh, like I'm normally a big uh, leg locker and a lot of these entanglements just twist up my hip too much and I can't get accustomed to it. So it's just going to be so dictated on so many different factors that, you know, you can't run these formulaic methods of assessing. You need to really, you need to have a process, but it, the steps that you take are going to be dictated by the individual in front of you. Mm -hmm. So I like what you said about it being very specific to what the uh, person is looking to do. Mm -hmm. you know, you're not necessarily telling them what my doctors used to tell me, which was lay off of it for a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, like you said, you have an entry point, you attack from what's tolerable mm -hmm. and you slowly progress after that yeah 
Interesting. Yeah. So we talked about what is tolerable pain. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to define that a little bit too. What is your definition of pain? It's kind of borrowed um, in that I look at pain as an unpleasant sensory experience that is related to actual or potential tissue damage. Because again, you could have pain without any real injury. And conversely, you could have an injury and not have any real pain involved with it too. Um, you know, there's plenty of examples of seeing these things um, in real life, whether it's phantom limb pain in amputees, or you see somebody that was running across the street, they step on a pothole and they twist their ankle, but a car's coming at them, they run across the street and, you know, they probably have a reasonably catastrophic ankle sprain, but, you know, your brain recognized to throw that bus hurtling at you as a bigger threat. And so you didn't develop any pain from that instance. That's insane. That's actually, insane. I've never heard of that uh, exact story or like analogy yeah. to define pain. That That's a really good uh, analogy, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things, again, like pain is something that is very nuanced and it's personal and it involves so much more than just the physical state of your body and tissues. I mean, your general sense of stress, your emotions, your preconceptions of how these things behave and even so much more than that, your culture, your religion, these all factor into it. So it's one of those things that you and I could have the same exact tissue injuries, like same exact degree of tearing in a given muscle and have completely different experiences with it hmm. from both the immediate pain that we experience to how quickly we recover. So what do you think contributes to that difference in experiences? It, it depends again, like it, it'd be hard to pin down like a singular factor. I mean, that's the thing with pain is that we can't really be reductionist on it. We can't just be like, this is it. Like this is the one thing that's driving all of this. Um, and again, that's so countercultural to its practice, you know, practiced commonly. We have all these people that dive down these biomechanical rabbit holes and are like, oh, that little bit of dorsiflexion that you're missing, that's just a, a hair of a degree off from the other leg. That's what's causing your mid-back pain. I'm like, what? Where did you get that? Wait, so you're saying my mid-back pain is not caused by this imbalance between my right leg and my left leg? No. And, and again, oh, there, there's so much to debunk in these things. And it's funny, especially when we come to lifting weights, where we have these mostly symmetrical movements and people demonize the slightest bit of asymmetry. Yeah. And then you look at somebody like a baseball pitcher who has so much more movement one direction in their shoulder than the opposite, you know, than their non-throwing arm. And it's just totally acceptable and fine. And we, we never really demonize it much. So yeah. it's just very funny how uh, like asymmetry is totally fine and acceptable in certain sports. And then elsewhere in our lives, like, oh, no, you... You have to be perfect, otherwise you're going to develop pain. It's just a very funny thing to me. Yeah, so I, I got it's a, a little advice for everybody out, out there. Then, in that case, you know, if you feel like you lean to one side, you feel like there is a, a sort of imbalance. We're not exactly saying there isn't one. It's just don't hyper focus right. on that being and, the source of pain. And I mean, and if somebody develops pain over time, it's like that may not be the thing that necessarily set it off. Well, it's one of those things, too, that I'm not saying that technique is unimportant either. The technique is going, it's going to allow you to have a higher ceiling for what you could potentially lift. And again, if you have less moving parts, it's just one of those things that everything becomes a little bit more predictable. You can more reliably progress something now, too. And it's one of those things, even with somebody who is in pain, sometimes they do optimize form because that might mean that we're imparting a little bit less stress on the thing that hurts, which in turn makes things feel a little bit more pleasant. Um, so like I said, there's a lot of nuance in these things. There's a lot of gray area. There's very few hard and fast rules beyond take something that's tolerable or at the edge of tolerance and progress from there, you know, find your entry point 
and scale up. Mm, so not exactly avoid it altogether. Correct. Because then what would happen would be... You're not, you don't have any stimulus to adapt to. Mm, you know, the body mm. adapts to stress. And so we need to open up that window for adaptation by actually stressing things. And it's one of those things like, let's say that you got hurt today lifting. I might say, you know, hey, you've got time. You could end your session now if you want. If things are really uncomfortable. But let's get this tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. Oh. People are generally afraid to. You know, we have that oh, I need to let my body rest to heal. And that can be true for certain systemic diseases and illnesses. But when it comes to our musculoskeletal system, we need stress. Okay. So let's assume uh, I'm I'm going to take you back 2016 before Soya BS. Uh, I'm lifting in the gym. I'm squatting. <laughs> I'm using the old method I used, which was load up the plates and fail, fail, fail until one day I magically come up. But before I magically come up, I get hurt squatting 405. What would you advise that hypothetical Jorge, but slightly real Jorge to do? <laughs> well, what did you hurt? Let's say uh, I, as I was coming up, I felt a, a pain in my back and it's shooting down my leg. Okay. So in this case, what I would probably do is be like, hey, the, the most advice I can give you without formally assessing you is see if you can move even just the bar through a full range of motion. And if you can't, then let's play around with maybe we have you squat to a box. Can you squat to a box at a certain height without considerable amounts of pain? Okay, you could do that. All right, let's start to add weight. And then let's work through just getting some work done here. Let's go up to a weight that you're like, okay, I'm working into a little bit of discomfort, but I'm not outright setting things off. It's not getting substantially worse by any stretch of the imagination. And in some people, that might be all the therapy you need. Okay. It might just be, hey, we work with a squat modification for a little bit of time. And then our progression is both weight on the bar and going back to a normal full range of motion squat. In other cases, you know, let's say you've got that pain rating, rating down your leg and it's getting a little bit more consistent than it normally is. At that point, I'd be like, hey, let's let's get in. Let's actually suss things out a little bit. And I might look for a desensitizing maneuver where now as you take repeated repetitions of this movement, you're like, okay, I'm feeling less pain down my leg. It's a little bit more intense in my back. But I'm not getting that pain in my leg. So like, okay, this sounds like a great movement for you to do throughout the day to make yourself a little bit more comfortable. And over time, you should, again, adapt to that kind of stimulus. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned, again, that uh, just to go back to what you said about when you first started off in your uh, physical therapy practice, you mentioned that you were doing a private practice, that you hated it. Um, and let's say this hypothetical scenario, there's a guy who's lifting and he gets hurt. Um, not Jorge, but sort of Jorge. Um and uh, let's say it gets to the point where, you know, his YouTube research has remained un un inconclusive to ailing his pain. Mm -hmm. So now he's decided he wants to go see a physical therapist. How does this person avoid seeing one of those uh, overworked or overwhelmed private practice physical therapists mm -hmm. that provide a diluted service versus someone such as yourself where you you're, you only see one patient at a time? Right. It's tough because, again, so many of these places advertise one-on-one -on -one care, but what they don't do is they don't put an asterisk there and say one-on-one -on -one care for 10 to 15 minutes of mostly manual therapy treatment and then unsupervised exercise to set up by a tech. Um, so it's really tough to do that. I think one of the easiest things to look at is, is this part of a hospital system? If it is, it's likely going to be set up the same way where, again, you're basically being run through a mill. You're in the assembly line clinic. And then if you look at organizations that have many locations, if you've got 
I don't want to throw out names. I want to besmirch any company and then have one person at the one good clinic that doesn't operate this way. But typically, if you have something that's got like 10 plus clinics, you could bet that, again, they're working in an assembly line. Mm -hmm. And so, so typically what I'd say is look for individual practitioners. Um, when you're searching up physical therapy or rehab um, or any of those sort of terms, look for something that seems to have just one or two people on staff look for you know i'd even say call call and inquire and ask do you have techs aides assistants etc and then you know assistant is a mixed term because there's licensed professionals physical therapist assistants who could essentially do most of my job they just can't formally evaluate someone on a first visit um so i'd even be careful with using the word assistant but you know ask do you utilize techs or aids in your services how much of my time is spent under the direct supervision of the therapist. Um, but it's so tough because, again, some of these people might lie to you. They might do these things for you in the first couple of sessions and then just, again, put you right back on the assembly line with everybody else. Jerk-offs, man. Yeah, right, well, it's, it's tough. Like I said, the, the best thing you could do is just ask around, go through your community and see who's the, who's the person for you guys. All right, so now that physical therapy – so, again, he's a physical therapist – Right, but he's also Dr. Michael Soya, Michael Soya, as well. You obtained a major feat in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu of acquiring a purple belt. Mm -hmm. um, you largely taught yourself with like the flow charts and all of that. I, that's I was just amazed that you would take the time to watch videos as well, mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you had the help of others who also taught yourself not largely but i guess partially partially mm -hmm. taught yourself um you also when you got into powerlifting i'm sure you were i don't want to say you weren't really you didn't get a coach that would train you in person every session no right and uh, i guess what i'm trying to get at is you're also jumping into uh vocal lessons singing lessons mm -hmm. so you're a man who does not fear jumping into unknown territory right what kind of advice would you give people that are fearful of jumping into unknown territory I and mean, so much of us just have this fear of not being good at something and it's very rare that you pick up something with natural talent and ability uh, most people would find it hard to believe that i was this height and 130 135 pounds at one Jesus. point in time. yeah <laughs> um so i was not a gifted lifter like i remember the first time that i had bench pressed i think i was i hit a one rep max of 115 pounds and i tried 135 and it immediately just crushed my chest um, so I had, I had no natural ability in it at any stretch. And then again, I did eventually end up working with a coach. I, I went through a lot of different transitions in it. You know, I had done a bodybuilding competition in 2011 and then I absolutely hated how subjective that was. I was like, I need something more concrete. And one of my uncles had competed a bunch in powerlifting, the owner of the gym near my parents' house I'd go to on breaks and stuff like that. Um, coached for the u.s national team a couple times he himself was on it a couple times and he saw me lifting as i was trying to transition to powerlifting he's like hey I, th I think you might do okay at this and then he started coaching me for a bit mostly remote but every you know time i'm in for a break from classes from school i'd go and lift with him if i could um and i got to the point that you know i had a couple open state records um i had been on the national team twice for the north american championships i won one of them took third in the other i'd gone to the arnold um so you know i got to a high level and uh like i said just i took a chance on and gave it its fair shake you know so many people are like oh, i gave this thing a, a two-month try i'm not any good i'm like 
you might need to give it a little bit longer. Uh, uh, how much longer would you say? And I kind of want to pull on that because a lot <laughs> yeah. of people do, they don't just do it with powerlifting. They do it with a lot of things. That they'll right. give it two months. And to some people, two months is a lot of time. Right. But to other and, and, and to other people and to the things that you're trying to accomplish, two months is actually a small amount of time. Yeah, it's, it's not much at all. Um, particularly something like jujitsu. Like in jujitsu, I think it realistically takes like at least six months to develop anything resembling a degree of competency in it. Um, with lifting, it could be a little bit shorter because, again, you can more easily test out, hey, let's just let's go for a new max today. And most of the time, even if somebody's only been doing it for two months, they're going to be ahead before they started out by a decent margin. Um, but when it comes to stuff like body transformation and stuff like that, it's a lot less apparent. Even if you're taking good before and after pictures in the exact same room, the exact same lighting, some of the differences are so subtle. Um so really, those journeys are a lot longer. That's stuff that's you're looking at six months, a year, two years. So, and it's easy to get a little frustrated because you're not getting some of that instant gratification. You know, you're not seeing that, you know, washboard set of abs. You're not seeing that magic number on the scale that you know or that you convinced yourself to believe. If I hit that, my life is going to be so much better. Yeah, and yeah. So it's it's tough. And then uh, again, like when people fall short. We don't have that sense of, oh, but like, boy, look how far I still got. So many people are like, oh, I didn't make it. Rather than like, dude, you got 95% of the way there. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So you obviously find physical activities very fun, you mm -hmm. know, and you obviously find learning and the process very fun. And uh, a lot of people do have this challenge of becoming outcome oriented and seeking that mm -hmm. instant gratification. How, what advice would you give to somebody to make physical activities fun especially somebody who doesn't come from a physically active background i mean i wouldn't say that i was a i was a i played almost every sport i wasn't good at every sport like i, I could never i could almost barely ever hit a a baseball i was never good at baseball i was never very good at basketball and i i did give those a pretty fair shake as a kid um but it's one of those things that you have to kind of find what draws you a lot of times and lifting is one of those activities that generally doesn't appeal to a lot of people right from the get-go but there's so many disciplines within lifting, whether it's just general fitness, whether it's circuit-based things, whether it's powerlifting, whether it's weightlifting, whether it's group fitness. There's so many different avenues. And realistically, it's just like you have to try them. Hmm. You really have to give it a couple months and then see, do I like this enough that I could see myself doing it almost perpetually? Because I believe that we need to sustain some type of exercise for our livelihood for life. Um so it's, it's really tough to give a really good cut and dry answer beyond go out there and try different things. See mm. what seems to grab you. See what's fun. And for a lot of people, too, I think the biggest thing is just having a little bit of support and some community in it. I, I love that question. It's kind of like a tough question right at the very beginning of your journey, whatever journey it may be, mm -hmm. of ask yourself, can I do this perpetually? Can I do this for the rest of my life? Right. If the answer is no, then yeah. you should probably like not do it, right? But after you've given it some time. Okay, after you've given it some time. Right. Like, I wouldn't say, like, oh, I, I tried it once and I absolutely hated it. Yeah. Because if you look at, especially something like jujitsu, like, most people, after doing the first session where they're getting out of breath, just drilling, if, you know, most of us had that thought of, like, oh, I can't see myself doing this even tomorrow, we'd have a worse retention rate than we already do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I definitely think you need to give it a, a fair shake, at least a couple months, and then reassess, do I... I see myself continuing this for a very long time, maybe the rest of my life even. Yeah, yeah. Um, so follow-up question. So next, what's next? What's next for Dr. Mike Osoya? 
or soya. More, more of the same, really. It's funny, you know. Again, we live in this mindset of more, more, more. Whereas I'm like, I just want to kind of go deeper. You know, I don't necessarily need more. I'm, I'm making okay money. Things are being paid for and everything else. But, but don't you need more to go deeper? Sometimes. I mean, it depends on what you want to do. I mean, in my case, it's like <laughs> my, my business is doing just fine. Um, I'm having a really fun time with my singing lessons. I'm really liking the process I'm having with jujitsu. Um, my marriage is great. My dogs are awesome. It's like, I don't necessarily need more. I'm happy. Can we get a sample of the singing lessons? Please? <laughs> no, we, not, ah, not today. I thought we were going to get the district exclusive. No, 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 no. Uh, okay. In a, a couple of weeks to a month or two, I should actually have something out, which would be pretty fun. Have you done any performing in front of people? I did once. Um, it was okay. I, like, like a lot of things, like I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily a private person because again, like we, we all know my whole story of my recent medical experience. So it's not that I'm uncomfortable sharing certain things. It's just more so that every once in a while I'm like, eh, this doesn't have to be seen. Um, but I did do one summer of last year. Um, my singing coach, he does these singing parties or like almost like recitals and people get to pick one or two songs and perform them in front of uh, this community. So it was, it was okay. But aren't you afraid of being judged? And that's part of it, right? Okay. That, that's what happens is that we, we do it. And it's just like, you're in a community of people who are mostly also in the same boat as you. You know, it's almost just like a mix of like rank amateurs. Some people were very good. And nobody's going to be like going home afterwards and thinking like, oh my God, Soy was terrible. I would never listen to him sing ever again. They might be like, oh, he wasn't bad. He could definitely improve here, here, and here. But nobody would be outright mean to you about it. Yeah, so you're saying that all of that, all of those insecure thoughts while I'm at the gym and I'm thinking everybody's staring at me. Yeah, not legitimate. They're not <laughs> legit, right? No. People are too focused on themselves to focus on you. Right. They're probably thinking the same thing. Of yep. Like, oh, this yeah. person might be judging me and what I'm wearing. Every, everybody's got insecurities. And what's funny too, especially in the gym, is that you'd be surprised at how many people would be willing to help you. And I mean, give or take whether their advice is actually sound or not. It's a completely different story. But most people would be happy to try to at least point you in what they believe is the right direction if you give them a chance and, you know, maybe ask a question or two. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. But again, everybody's just kind of a little, little wrapped up in their own securities or in the opposite end of the spectrum, just involved in their own narcissism to such a degree that they're like, oh, I'm the only one here and everybody's focused on me. Has that ever happened to you? Um, I don't know. I, I generally try to think I'm a pretty approachable person. You're so a very I've, approachable person. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I've had a lot of people just ask me general stuff between like, oh, how do I adjust this piece of equipment to like, what do you think I should do about X, Y, and Z for this given goal? Um, but have you ever thought to like, I guess maybe years back now, you're more comfortable in the weight room, you're comfortable in the gym, but years back, how did you overcome that fear of being judged by other people and not knowing what you're doing? I think just having almost like a sense of apathy about it, just being like, eh, what's it matter? Like, mm. why, why should I care? Mm. You know? Because again, everybody's in there for similar goals, whether it's to be healthier, to lose weight, to deliberately gain weight, get more muscle, get stronger, whatever. We all have like-minded goals. We're on similar journeys here. So what, what's it matter what I'm doing versus what's the next person doing here to get to that goal? Mm -hmm. So yeah, where can people find you um, if they're looking to get into contact with you? Uh, for professional inquiries through my website is probably the best, although it's substantially out of date. Uh, I do need to fix that one of these days, but that's just soyapt.com. 
uh, to just chat. Instagram works just fine at Soya Physical Therapy or my personals at Soya Sumigayashi. I don't expect people to spell that right. <laughs> I don't even know what that meant. What does that mean? It's a uh, type of sacrifice throw uh, used in judo and jujitsu. Sheesh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorites too. It's, it's very fun just because, again, like being a bigger guy, it's something that you wouldn't think I'd be able to pull off very well, but I'm pretty good Wait, on that one. I was going to sign off, but what does that look like? What is the, the, the throw? What is... Um, so there's a couple different ways to set up. I like to set it up with a guillotine strangle. And then what I'll do is while we're both standing and I have the, the guillotine strangle on your type of front headlock, I'll sit down to one of my hips and then literally kick you over my head and then oh, follow over with it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Damn, that's insane. Have you had to use your jujitsu uh, in a real life setting? I know you initially got into it because of self-defense. Yeah, exercise um, no, I've, I've never had to. I mean, the, the beauty of it is that it, teaches you that you never know who out there is training and who could absolutely just ruin your day you know because i get still get beat up by people who are substantially smaller weaker less fit than me all the time because they're just better at jujitsu they know how to fight better than i do so um you know it teaches you to keep a very level head stay calm and you know talk and walk yourself out of situations there's no reason to escalate things hmm. you know people particularly people who are untrained tend to have this mindset of let me just amp up this situation rather than like let me cool it down let me let's bring level heads back into the conversation or if you can't do that people are just afraid to walk away or afraid to back down from things sometimes yeah yeah um so there's a lot of takeaways here today folks so again if you want to contact soya just at uh soyapt.com soyapt.com and then instagram is at soya physical therapy at soya physical therapy which is much easier than <laughs> at soy sumigayashi for my personal <laughs> And folks, if you want to get to contact with the district training facility, contact us at district training uh, for Instagram and for uh, our website, uh, teamdistrict.com. And that's all. Thank you. And uh, until next time. Thanks, Warrior.